We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Is up, church. Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it. Woo! You made it to church. And again, if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And uh, you know, the message I'm about to share with you today, I just realized this morning, okay, this is kind of weird, but when, when Carolyn and I planted this church, I'll never forget, uh, it was actually this exact time, uh, just decades ago, where we had moved to the Twin Cities. We only knew about six people in the Twin Cities and we were setting up, we called them our pre-launch meetings. We hadn't launched our church yet, but it was literally this same weekend. Uh, I, I preached this message. We, we had like a, a meeting. Uh, it was basically a Bible study where the, the 16 people we knew in the Twin Cities, we thought, let's go to the Courtyard Marriott back meeting room. And I took like a, a, t- I took like a, a serving tray where you put glasses and, of water. And that was like my pulpit, right? And, and I, I didn't realize until this morning that the very message I'm about to share with you is the same message I preached like 18 years ago. And so what's kind of, and maybe, maybe I don't know what it is, but it's just like full circle, right? I, there's, there's something about how there's certain aspects of the gospel that never change. And I, I shared that with you because I want you to understand that, that, that the thing that we built our church on, this message that I'm about to share with you is in some ways what we kind of built this church on from the very, very beginning. And, and really, we're, we're talking about intimacy. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how God wants us to have way more intimacy with him, with his church, with his word, with his spirit, uh, way more intimacy with us than, than we may currently understand. I don't, I don't care how you relate to God right now, today. God wants to take you even steps closer than you realized. He wants to give you more power and more insight than you currently comprehend. He wants to have more intimacy than you realize. And I, I just, uh, just to kind of set this up, many of you guys know Pastor Nate Puccini. He's uh, one of our executives, oversees a lot of our campus pastors here at Substance. And, uh, you know, he's got kind of a prophetic gift, but uh, a couple weeks ago, he woke up and he just, there's this one pastor that, that we know on the other side of the world. And this pastor, he just felt this super strong burden to pray for that pastor. Just pray for that pastor, pray for that pastor. And of course, you know, he hadn't talked to this guy in a long time. And so he felt nudged by the Holy Spirit. Don't just pray for him, reach out to him. Let him know, hey, uh, God has you on my heart. I want you to know I'm here for you. And of course, after Nate reached out, the pastor kind of freaked out and said, dude, you have no idea what this means to me, that you would even reach out to me. And and the pastor ended up kind of spilling a confession like, hey, actually, uh, Nate, I'm in the middle of a total full-on mental health crisis. Like, in fact, I can't believe you even reached out to me when you did. Um, I literally had to get an emergency preacher for my church because I, I just, I can't, I can't even preach. I couldn't even show up at my own church today. I'm freaking out so much. And so, you know, Nate reaching out ended up being a lifeline for this guy. It ended up being like a, 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 a life preserver as he was floating in the ocean. And this pastor was so blessed, almost like, God does know my name. God does know what I'm going through. He will raise up people in the moments where I need it most. And I'm so glad that Nate had the intimacy with the Holy Spirit to know when to reach out, to know, oh, that's not just a random thought in your head. That is a Holy Spirit nudge to rescue someone. 
I just heard a story even just this last week of a pastor in Indiana who uh, he literally, he woke up out of a dead sleep in the middle of the night, looks at his clock, it was 3 a.m., and he immediately sensed the Holy Spirit say, get in your car, drive downtown, there's an emergency I need you to take care of. And of course, he was he, he kind of like, I'm dreaming, that's like a dream state, and then he, he just, but he couldn't fall back asleep, and it was like, no, get up, put on your, it was like middle of winter, right? Put on your boots, drive downtown, I have an emergency I need you to take care of, and he's like, there's no way. Okay, okay. And so he sits up in bed and his wife now wakes up and like, what are you doing? And he's like, I know this is weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to go into downtown and I, there's like an emergency. And, and she was like, really? Like, and, and he goes, would you just pray for me? I, I think I have to do it. And, you know, she's like, okay. You know, like, uh, so he, he starts going into downtown and he's like, I don't even know what am I, like, God, what am I doing? Like, I'm, this is the middle of the night. It's now 3.30 in the morning. Like, how will I know what you're calling me to do? And, and he goes, okay, God, I, I suppose if, you, if you're, you know, you're powerful enough to reveal it to me. Well, he drives into downtown. He sees one person standing under a streetlight with a hood up over his head, looking down at his feet. And he's like, there's nobody else to even talk to. I mean, God wouldn't have me here to minister to a building, right? I, I like, this must be the guy. And so he, he gets up, he walks up to the guy and he's kind of scared, right? Because this guy has his hood up and is looking down. And he goes, hey, hey, is there, is there something I can do for you? Like, do you need anything? I, I just, I, I just, hey, if I can help you. And the guy goes, if you were to kill yourself, would you do it this way or would you do it that way? And he goes, well, honestly, I, I wouldn't do either of those things. I would surrender my life to Jesus. And the guy was like, what do you mean? And, and he just gave him an old school gospel presentation right there and just said, hey, I, I, I believe that, that God wouldn't want you to end your life at all. In fact, God would actually want you to repurpose your life for this, for this reason. And it ended up leading the guy to Christ. It was like one of the most powerful moments. And so he drives home and his wife was like, what did you do? You know, like, you're never gonna believe it. Now, how many of you know that guy went home thinking, a lot of those nudges are not nudges. That's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I think a lot of us, we get a lot more nudges than we realize, but we don't know what it actually feels like to have intimacy with the Lord because we don't, we don't experience it like that. And, and I, I share those stories with you because I want you to understand, God wants to use you far more than you realize. He has miracles that he is ordaining to set you up for, but I, think, I wonder how many of us miss the miracles God has for us because we don't know what it's like to have intimacy with God's word, God's spirit, and God's church. And so the whole thesis behind this series is actually to help you experience that. But, but in order to have that, we've gotta have intimacy with three things. And so throughout this whole series, we've been talking about the three relationships that create intimacy with Christ. In the past, I call it the triangle of discernment, but I thought, let's mix it up. Let's call it the Venn diagram of discernment. Let's just like keep you guys off your, you know, off your feet here and just, so three relationships God wants you to have with his his word. He wants you to have a deep, intimate relationship with the Bible, memorizing scripture, reading your Bible, God's spirit, learning how to listen for the Holy Spirit, the divine nudges that he gives to us, and God's church, being a part of his people. Now, a lot of people get the false impression that they only need one of these three, or they need, or one of these is a substitute for the other two. Not so, okay? It's like a three-legged stool. If you're missing a leg on your stool, guess what's going to happen? At some point in your life, you're going to tip over. 
You see, God wants you to have all three legs on the stool. And I think here, here's what's, what's interesting is all of us has a natural predisposition to one of these versus the other two. For example, I talk to a lot of Christians who are like, I, do I even need to attend church as long as I read my Bible regularly? The answer is yes. There are two different relationships that God wants to speak to you through. Or, or other people, they say, ah, I don't know about that whole like Holy Spirit thing. It's kind of, you know, I think we all know spooky Christians who take it too far. I'm not really into that whole tongues or the prophecy stuff. That's, that just kind of makes me uncomfortable. So I'll just read my Bible. In other words, I'll stick with this one to the exclusion of that one. In other words, what we start doing is we start using one of these as a substitute for the others, but not understanding if you do that, you're going to have a byproduct that ultimately you're going to miss out on some miraculous stuff. Unfortunately, you got to have all three of these things kicking in your life or you're going to miss out. You see, um, you know, again, a lot of people think, oh, well, okay, I have a relationship with God's church. And a lot of people falsely think that attending a church service means you have a relationship with God's church. Well, let me tell you, God's church is not a church service. A church service is just a tool to enhance God's church. But what is God's church really? Like philosophically, it's the people, right? It's the relationships. In other words, you're only connected to God's church insofar as you have divine relationships with other Christians. And so ultimately, you know, like when I talk about having a relationship with God's church, I'm not talking about church services because you can be an unchurched Christian who goes to church every single week. Are you hearing me? How, how, well then, Pastor Peter, how do you define, what, what does it mean to be connected to church? It means, do you have Christian friends that you could confess your deepest, darkest secrets to on any given moment? Intimacy to the point where you could confess your sin. That's what it means to be a church Christian. You're intimate, you're vulnerable with other believers, you have mentors, you have Christian friends who anchor your soul on a weekly basis. That's what it means to be church. Because again, if we, if we have these two things but not this, what, what happens? You're gonna be full of situational blind spots and confirmation bias. You're gonna miss out on a lot of things that God has for you simply because again, you don't have all three legs on the stool, and, and, and of course, again, what is your natural strength? What is your natural weakness? Just identify it. It's, it's, all of us has a natural predisposition. It's not bad. It's just that we gotta make sure that we put the other legs on the stool. Does that make sense, everybody? And so, you know, one of the, one of the scriptures that I've preached that I've built this church on is James 5.16. If you come to this church, you're just gonna have to memorize it. You might as well just get it over with. Or some of you are like, I don't have to. I just come here and I've just by virtue of being here. Well, here it is, okay? If you want biblical healing, okay? Here is the definition of biblical transformation. Therefore, confess your sins to whom? Each other. It doesn't say confess it to God in the third song of the worship service when nobody is looking and it's just between you and God, this vertical confession. No, it's horizontal confession. Confess your sins to each other and what? Pray for each other so that what? What happens when you do these two things? That you may be what? Healed. Healing is preceded by what? Confession of sins and prayer. It doesn't say healing is preceded by listening to sermon podcasts. It doesn't say healing is preceded, although that's healthy, it's good for you. It doesn't say healing is preceded by crying tears in a worship service, okay? Although that's good, it's a good thing to have a relationship with God's spirit. It actually says though, healing is preceded by confession of sin. It's biblical fellowship. 
the prayers, and, not, and don't just confess your sin to anyone, okay? There's a lot of Christians I would never confess my sin to, Sister Big Mouth or Brother Legalism. You don't, you know, there's a lot of people who you do not want to confess your sin to, okay? Church is filled with unhealthy people. That doesn't mean you just confess your sin to anyone. That's why James follows it up with the latter thing of the prayer of a righteous person. Find someone that is stable in Christ, that's logged a few victories, memorized a few scriptures. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and what? Effective. Like, I don't know about you, but I need power and I need effectiveness in my life because I spent en- I've wasted enough time spinning my wheels with inferior, subst- with inferior forms of Christianity or inferior substitutes for Christianity. I need the real thing. And if I want the real thing, I need to do this. And that's kind of humiliating, isn't it? I mean, to a certain degree, it requires, I mean, again, I, vulnerability and authenticity determines your transformability. Vulnerability determines your transformability. Ultimately, I wonder how many people lack healing in their life. They lack traction in their life because ultimately they lack true confession, true authenticity, a true relationship with God's church. I wonder how many people lack the effectiveness, the traction, because they don't have intimacy with righteous people. And so it begs the question, well then, if God has given us that much power through through his church and, then, and through vulnerability, then why are we not desperately wanting to confess our sins every week? <laughs> well, some of you are, and you're a little strange, but you know what I'm saying, I love you. But then why are people not just like, you know, clam- I just wanna confess my sin every week, woo! Why are people not acting like that? Well, I think it's because there's a, there's a sin nature going on in our lives. We're afraid of a couple things. And I'm just going to extrovert some of the things that have held me back from vulnerability over the years. First thing is, some of us are scared about transparency and vulnerability because some of us aren't convinced that healing is actually possible for our issue. You know what I'm saying? I think we all, we all have issues, but like, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily see a lot of our issues. When you look around this room, you wouldn't see the number of issues that actually are in this room. But man, come on, y'all have issues. You may not all be visible. Those issues may not be on the outside, but some of us have struggled with certain behaviors so long, we don't even think healing is possible. You, and so what we do is we do the worst thing ever is we make it a part of our identity. I'll always be an alcoholic. I'll always be, you know, obese. I'll always have these sexual desires. I'll always have an addiction to fill in the blank, snack cakes. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is for you, you know who you are and whatever that is, right? No, listen, listen. No, you will not always be that way because in Christ, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's not even you anymore. If you are a Christian and if you are baptized, the power of Christ is gonna rise up on the inside of you and, and, and it's gonna change you from the inside out. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, it's not about you anymore. It's about Christ in you. And Christ is not addicted to snack cakes. Thank God. And so all I have to do is remind myself every single day, Peter, you were crucified with Christ. When you got baptized, that was a burial service. You got raised with Christ, and now it's just Christ in you. It's Christ living in me and through me, just kind of walking through life. It's not me talking to my wife. It's Christ talking to my wife. It's not me posting on social media. It's Christ posting on social media. Wow, that could change everything, wouldn't it? Man, I'm just saying, listen, I, I, I just... 
I want you to understand you're buried through baptism, the Bible says, Romans 6, 4, and, and Christ now lives in you and through you, Galatians 2, 20. And, and, and if you understand that, it changes you. It, it, a lot of people, they have these little idea, identities, like they say, oh, I'm not a smart person. No, don't say that about you. Christ is smart. You've been given the mind of Christ. Well, I, I just, I struggle getting into the Bible because I'm not a reader. No, don't ever say you're not a reader. Christ is a reader. He created a book and he loves to read his own book. You know what I'm saying? Like Christ in you, like, don't, don't ever curse yourself by embracing an identity that is different than Christ. Okay, so many of you guys know one of, my, one of my good pastor friends and one of our church's overseers is a pastor by the name of Joe Champion. I love him. I was just talking to him this last week and, and uh, he and I were talking about one of his, he, he's got a pastor friend that he met years ago um, by the name of Rusty Domain. Uh, they both went to LSU uh, together. They both played football for LSU and they were both Christians and so they, they always hit it off. And, and of course he was telling me about Rusty's conversion experience, how it was kind of a crazy thing. Um, Rusty, when he played for LSU football uh, back in 1977, remember that year, okay? 1977, remember that. That detail is important because we're gonna revisit it in a little bit. Uh, when he was playing football back in those days, he fell in with the wrong crowd. He got caught up um, in, with some really bad friends, got caught up with some really bad stuff, and eventually he got into a fight that resulted in a murder charge on his life. And so the next thing you know, he's just this young guy, and all of a sudden he's in jail now facing serious prison time, and he's freaking out, right? He's like, oh no, my life is over, and it hasn't even started. And of course, like a lot of people in that situation, you know, he, he hit rock bottom, and guess what? He started praying to God, right? He prayed the classic prayer, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere for you, right? I think we've all prayed that prayer at some point in our lives, right? And maybe, maybe that point hasn't gotten to you yet, but I, he prayed that prayer while he was in jail facing hard time, and, and, uh, and sure enough, God moved the mountains, supernatural favor. He got out of jail, and he made good on the promise that he made to the Lord in jail that day, and he went on staff, full-time ministry, devoted his life to Christ, and, and devoted his life to ministry, and then eventually he found himself on the mission field in India. And so fast forward, he's in India, in Bihar, India, and he's ministering to a group of people when all of a sudden, a demonized man started shouting at him, and it was kind of just like, it was, like a, it was almost like a Bible story. You remember that in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul had a demonized girl start yelling at him, and he had the same thing happen to him in India, and so he thought, I, I gotta stop, and I gotta cast this demon out of this guy. And so he starts casting the demon out of this guy, and the demon shouted at him like, no, I'm not gonna go, because I know who you are. And of course, he was like, oh, this is weird. Like, and he goes, and who am I? And he goes, you are a murderer and you have a spirit of murder. I know what you did in 1977. And just like, you know, like literally, like in front of all these people just stated that, right? And I, find, I think it's interesting that a demon on the other side of the world knew his backstory. I think it's interesting that the devil has a, you know, the Bible says the devil has a plan for our lives. And I think it's interesting how the, the demon tried to talk Rusty out of his authority by reminding him of his past. And of course, that just even got him fired up even more. And, and he just responded, as he should, as a good mature Christian, well, yeah, that's who I was. 
That's who I was, but I died, right? I was buried through baptism, Romans 6, 4. I was crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. I don't even know who you're talking about because it's Christ living in me, Galatians 2, 20. You know what I'm saying? And in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast you out. Boom, and it was done, deliverance. You know what I'm saying? I, now, I, I shared that because I was, I, was I was telling Joe that I was, I was preaching on this topic and he, and he shared that story and I, I, I thought, you know, it's interesting that the devil will always try to remind us of our past. The devil will always try to put us back into a box. And, and the world is always trying to tell us, no, you are. You are the sum total of your desires. Your past will always be your present. And sometimes we'll even start cooperating with those beliefs. And, and that's fine if you're not a Christian. But for, for Christians, listen, if Christ is living in you, then, hey, you have the fullness of the deity in bodily form, Colossians 2 says. The fullness of God. We're, we're not a slave to anything. You see, the world will always try to reduce us, our identities, to a behavior. But, but at, you know, it's like, it's like the demon saying, hey, you're a murderer, you're a failure, you're a this, you're a that. No. You're the sum total of Christ in you, Colossians 1.27. Come on, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Come on, freedom. Some of you, you're walking in partial freedom. You're like, you're like walking with your shoes tied together and you're wondering why it's hard for you to run. Well, listen, at some point, the spirit of the Lord wants to untie those shoelaces and retie them the way that they're supposed to be tied. And don't get me wrong, you can run kind of fast <laughs> like that, but... But God wants you full stride. And some of you, you're, you're kind of actually, you've you got like three inches of shoelaces. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, you literally had to hop into church today. And listen, God wants to, God wants to set you free. And he's got to, but, but you also have to embrace a Christ-centered identity to get there. And I, I think when we're struggling and alone, sometimes we get all freaked out. And, and even, even Christians, we start to wonder if healing is really possible. I'm not even sure that healing is possible. Listen, don't believe the lies of the devil, okay? Leads to another reason why we're te we tend to be, trans we, we fail to be transparent, why we don't wanna be authentic. Number two, we're afraid people won't accept us. If we actually told people what we're struggling with, we're afraid people will be like, yeah, bro, you don't belong here. You know what I'm saying? No. You belong here. If you're, if you're a human being with the ability to breathe, okay, chances are that means Christ died for you. That means he, he died to set you free. That means you belong here, okay? So don't, don't think that, that this is about rejection or, or acceptance. You're, now listen, hey, if you're surrounded by self-righteous people, then yeah, they will reject you because self-righteous people actually are not submitted to the Savior. They don't need a Savior, they're, they're just, they're good because they prayed themselves. You know what I'm saying? I think there's a lot of self-righteous Christians. Unfortunately, there's a lot of judgmental churches out there who, where, where they're not aware of their own sins. But a lot of times we like to, we, we think the problem is out there, but actually the problem is in here. It's our own fear and insecurity saying, oh, I don't think people would accept me if they knew who I really was. Listen, Christ already knew who you were and still died for you. Okay. One time, I, a couple decades ago, I remember making a bad decision and the Lord made me promise that I was gonna, that Sunday, get a group of guys together and confess it. And I, I was like, oh, I was not looking forward to church that week. And of course, as the days got closer to Sunday, I was like, ah, I don't wanna go to church because I'm gonna have to be vulnerable. And I know that, I know that, like, I, know that I won't be able to worship with a, with a clear conscience unless I grab a few of my friends and tell them. And, 
And so sure enough, I just grabbed my friends together and I pulled them together and I'm like, dude, guys, I, uh, the Lord really wants me to be vulnerable with you guys. This is what's going on in my life. And I spilled the beans. I just felt like such an idiot. And uh, what was so miraculous about it is two of the four guys were like, you know what, Peter? Thank you for sharing that. Instead of rejecting me, they're like, you know what? Actually, I struggled with that and I have victory in it and we are gonna help you get to victory. And then another guy's like, I struggle with it and I still struggle with it and I need help too. Would you help me? And then we all made a pact together that day that we were going to be a band of brothers who were gonna give each other, who were, we're gonna get, we're gonna rip through rooftops until we get to Jesus and get healed and whole. You know what I'm saying? And we did and we had more traction in our spiritual lives in the six months following that moment than maybe even we had in the previous six years. But I, I look back and I keep thinking, instead of being a moment of rejection, it was a moment of reformation. And that's what God wants to bring about in your life. Stop thinking that you're gonna experience rejection and start thinking you're gonna experience redemption and reformation. That's how God wants you to, to, to change your thoughts here on this, and that leads to the third reason why we're scared to be transparent. Some of us are just not convinced that God's alternative is better. Like, if I actually change my life, am I actually gonna be happier, or am I gonna be just even more miserable? In other words, sin is the way we, we medicate, right? I mean, if you really think about it, sin is an inferior substitute for something God offers. God always offers something better than sin. And, and so, you know, there's an exchange that we gotta go through, but a lot of times we're just not sure that the exchange is actually a good one. I mean, let's be honest, that's actually the problem. I remember, I, I remember like, uh, uh, just when I, when I became a Christian, I was actually afraid, you know, I was so used to kind of the lifestyle of, of drugs and alcohol, I was afraid like, well, I don't even know if I can have fun on the weekend without this. Like, I remember the first weekend without having, you know, where I was hanging out with Christian friends instead of my druggy friends, okay? It was, it was very distinct in my mind. And I was like, so what do you guys do? <laughs> like, what are we gonna do? Is this like board game night? I didn't know. I didn't, I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? Do you guys have like root beer kegs? Like, what do you do? You know, like, how does this work? You know, like, I was so scared that we weren't gonna have fun. I had no idea how much fun I could have. I had no idea how much fun I could have. And looking back, I was like, man, what was I thinking? The only reason I was addicted to dirt sandwiches, so to speak, is because I just didn't know ice cream existed. You know what I'm saying? I never gave God enough time. I never gave God enough time. I think there's a lot of you here, and you're like, oh, if I gave up smoking, how will I relax? Oh, God has peace like you've never experienced. Yeah, but if I give up my non-Christian boyfriend or my unhealthy job or my negative friends, will actually God truly provide an alternative? Well, listen, God may take you through a lonely season in the meantime, but once you're done with that, 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 that redemption time, that window, I'm just telling you what God has on the other end of that experience is a thousand times better. And, and, but if you don't know his character and aren't trusting in his character, you're always gonna go back to dirt sandwiches, if you know what I mean. And I, I, I think the same is true. There's always that next level. Let me give you an, let me, let me tell you about a time where, where even as a Christian, I was not, uh, there was an area of my life that was unredeemed that God wanted me to change. And it was particularly when it came to eating and physical health. I, I, it took me a while to learn how to do physical stewardship. Um, many of you guys know that I became a lead pastor at a fairly young age. I, I took over my first lead pastorate in Wisconsin. Uh, when I was 24 years old, and it was my first desk job. 
And, uh, and of course, it was the first time in my life where I literally, all I did all day long was sit in front of a computer or listen to people whine. It was one of the two, right? It was like, I didn't realize how many opinions people had when it came to pastoring. It was like, ah, oh! like I just thought, you know, like in my mind before I was a pastor, I thought like, what do pastors do all day? Do they just like read their Bibles? You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, now I know what it is. They read letters from mean people all day long. <laughs> I had no idea how political churches were. And then I, I like stepped into the lead pastorate and it was like people would just emerge from dark crevices to talk about what's wrong with the church. And I was just like, sinners, you, you are wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I just wanted to shake everybody. I could get a lot of work done if you guys would just stop sinning. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I realized, oh, that's, oh, that's why it's, oh, that's what my job is. Okay, so I, I, I just, to be honest, it, it so stressed me out. The only way I could cope with it was stress eating. Actually, Starbucks Frappuccinos were my vice. I mean, I, I had so many Starbucks Frappuccinos. I, and, I, and I would go, you know, like the, the size even bigger than, you know, venti, you know what I'm saying? With the extra whip, just like mountains of it. And I'd go home every night, I would just stress eat. Because every time I thought about the church, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I just need more ice cream or something. And, and, and literally, okay, this is gonna sound funny, but like the moment I became a lead pastor, I gained like 30 pounds. I mean, actually, so I turned 27 and that year I gained 27 pounds. It was just my way of celebrating. <laughs> no, I, I, to be honest, I was depressed. I was stressed. And I, I knew that this was like, wow, I'm out of control. It was the, you know, and granted, you know, I was turning 27, my metabolism was slowing down, right? And, and, uh, you know, my wife was at that season, she had given birth to our two daughters. And of course we joked, you know, like she's the one giving birth and yet I'm the one gaining baby weight. You know what I'm saying? Like she's participating in the miracle of life. I'm participating in the miracle of pizza, <laughs> you know? And I felt awful. In fact, actually, here's a picture of me from that. I know I was a catch, wasn't I? <laughs> That goatee, I mean, I couldn't even grow a goatee. Guys, don't grow goatees until you can, okay? Just chill. Just wait. Let it, let it incubate a little bit. No, seriously, this, I gained 30 pounds, and, and I, I'm sure that my wife, when she saw this hunk, I'm sure she's like, that is not the dude I married. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and yet, this was like, you know, I, I, but this is me. I, I was kind of depressed, and uh, I, I just, I, now this guy right here, I could down a Taco Bell combo meal faster than anybody on planet Earth. In fact, this guy, I, you, you could say, what's a, number, what's a number five? I could tell you, two chalupas and a taco. I could tell you, I knew every combo on the menu, and I didn't even work there. Okay? I, you know, I, I knew I had a problem. And, and at the time, I had a healthy friend who was not a video gamer. He was a... He, he was one of those guys who like did triathlons, one of those guys, ah. But he was a good friend, I'd see him every single day at church and he was always inviting me to come do something with him, come play, come play racquetball with me, come, come work out with me, come do this, come do that, come do this, come do that. And I'd be like, why don't you come sit on my couch and let's have some nachos, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and uh, some of you, you can't even pay attention to me until I get rid of this slide, so I'm just gonna go like that. And, uh, some of you, you're like not even looking at me anymore. You're just like, bro, that was bad. You know, that goatee, what were you thinking? But he was one of those triathlon guys, and I knew that if I actually told him that I'm struggling and I need help, 
I knew what he was gonna say. I knew it. I knew it from a mile away. He'd be like, Peter, then you have to work out with me. And we're gonna do a triathlon. And I, I knew it. And I was like, I don't even wanna hear that. And so every single week, I would just have this nudge, like, go tell him, go tell him. Ask for his help. And I'd see him and I'd be like, no, I don't wanna do a triathlon. I'd, you know, go the other way. Every single week, and it, would ha- it was like, I was almost like starting to avoid him. And then, and, um, and I, knew, I knew I wasn't healthy. I knew it was gonna get worse and worse. And yet I just didn't wanna embrace the pain of healthy eating, healthy exercise. Well, right around that time, I happened to have another friend in my church, who, a young guy who died of a heart attack just suddenly, just caught us all off guard. And now I'm literally officiating the funeral of this, this total tragedy. It sent the whole family into a panic. Nobody, was, nobody saw it coming. And, and, and I had a front row seat to this disaster. And I, I felt like even while I was at the funeral, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just impressing on my heart, Peter, if you don't start stewarding your body, if you don't start taking care of yourself, this is gonna be you. Don't think that, that you can just ignore your body forever and think that you're gonna experience my best. And, and like, it was almost like this clear moment where in be, before God, I'm like, but God, I don't wanna embrace the pain. And God was like, you're gonna embrace pain either way. It's either the pain of prevention or the pain of regret. What pain do you want? What pain do you want? You're either gonna, pain is not an option. It's, it's always gonna be preventative pain or disciplinary pain. You choose. Which one do you want? Do you want it on your terms or do you want it when you least expect it? What do you want? And I, I just couldn't get it out of my soul. And so finally I saw the guy like a week or two after that and I just got over my pride and I went to my triathlon friend and I'm like, dude, I, I'm like, dude, I just binged an entire box of snack cakes last night. I, I'm done. I need your help. I need your help. And uh, sure enough, guess what he did? Sign me up for a triathlon. Thank you very much. You know what I'm saying? And so, and he's like, just, I I want you to have a goal. And you know, the triathlon was like, you know, almost a year away. So I had plenty of time to train, but he started me out small, five minutes of running a day, then edged me up to 10 and then edged me up to 20. And then he's like, let's start riding bikes together. And we started out with two miles and it turned into five miles. Next thing you know, I couldn't even believe it. I was like literally doing 14 miles on this bicycle. And I remember the entire time I'm like, this is weird. I'm not a bike person. You know what I mean? I, like, I, I still had this identity of I'm not this, but this is weird. I'm starting to get into it. It was like my identity was being changed. It was like I was wearing a new jacket I was not used to wearing and it was uncomfortable. I'm not used to being this person because I'm that person. And yet what was weird is I was kind of impressed that, wow, I, I'm, I'm starting to kind of get into it. And, and then the weirdest thing, I started to enjoy it. I thought, what is going on? I, I, I'm starting to like some of this. I, don't get me wrong, I didn't love it, but I, I, I'm starting to like it. I started to get addicted to the adrenaline rush. But I gotta be honest with you, uh, when that big day arrived, the triathlon that I had been training for all year when it approached, I still got kind of scared and I started reminding myself, Peter, you are not a triathlon guy. You know, like, and, and of course, when you, have, when you show up and you're the newbie at a triathlon, you know it. Okay, if you've ever done this before, I mean, like it, the, it, people at the triathlon were so intimidating because everybody had like all these like fancy triathlon clothing. It was like, you know, there's stuff. I, like technology strapped to their arms and weird stuff. I'm like, what is, is that even real? Does that even help you? Like, what, what, you know, I showed up in like cut off jean shorts. You know what I'm saying? 
right? And everybody's got like matching spandex, right? And I'm just like, well, like, you know, people, people ha- it was so intimidating. It was like very obvious, oh, you're the new guy. You know what I mean? Like everyone had fancy bikes with like clip-in pedal shoes. And, and of course I had like the junky 1980s 10 speed from a garage sale with the duct tape wrapped around the seat. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, like I looked like an Amish guy who borrowed a bike from Uncle Enoch, right? I, I just like, <laughs> everybody knew I did not belong there, right? And, and don't get me wrong, they were, people were very encouraging, okay? They were like, they would see me in my jean shorts. You can do this, you got this. Wow, those jean shorts are gonna chafe. <laughs> I'm sure they said that, but they were still encouraging, like, you can still do it. You can still do it. You're gonna be really sore right here. <laughs> but you got this. <sighs> I felt so weird, and yet I knew that God wanted me to have a healthy identity. And yeah, I didn't fit in. I didn't have the right bikes. I didn't have the right outfits. I didn't have the right shoes. Let me tell you though, when I crossed that finish line in first place, just kidding, I didn't cross in first. That would have been awesome, right? I crossed, it was 348th out of 500. Okay, so, but doggone it, I was not gonna let 349 beat me. Oh. I saw 349, I'm like, you were not, you're gonna be 349. I just, and like, he had clip-in pedals, and I was just like, and I crossed that finish lane, I'm like, you can, check this out, can you do this, can you do this, clip-in pedal guy? I just wanted to beat 349, even still, when I crossed the finish line, I was kind of shocked how much fun I had. Because once the habit was trained, the identity was adopted, there was an addiction. I found it just twice as easy to stay healthy. Now, did I, did I go on another snack cake binge? Heck yeah. Did I gain another 15 pounds? Yeah. But guess what? I knew I did it before, and so I lost it again. And this time, the identity became deeper. The identity became deeper, and the disciplines became easier. And I'm just telling you, I, I like... It was easier for me to kind of break out of the past, break out of the mold that my brain, the prison that my brain had created for myself. And you know, church, that's what I want for you. I want you guys to run without your shoelaces tied together. I want you to have that addiction to godly things, to life-giving behaviors. And I'm not gonna promise you that it's always gonna be fun, but, but I, I am gonna promise you that the pain of prevention is always better than the pain of regret. And that if you would just press into God's church, Surround yourself with the right mentors, with the right friends, the friends, the kind of friends that will hold a mirror to you, not just tell you what you wanna hear, but, but, but will hold the mirror to you, even when it's not so flattering. I'm just telling you, th- that mirror can be a very, very powerful thing when you're surrounded by righteous people because that's where the healing can come. That's where the true transformation happens, not through church services. Church services are just the slippery creek bank into the real thing called the church. And when you experience that, I'm just telling you, it changes everything. And so here, what are you missing? Of these three things, are you missing that true church thing? Are you missing the prophetic? Are you missing the thing that grounds the prophetic, his word? Which of these is your natural predisposition? Which of these is lacking in your life? Where is God calling you into a deeper relationship? Listen, God wants to have intimacy in all three of these areas. And if we could be fully alive to these three relationships, I'm just telling you, 
you're gonna see miracles in your life that are just gonna eclipse anything you've ever seen in your life. And so right now, wherever you're at, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just do business. Holy God, you see all of us. You see where we're lacking. You see where we're insecure. God, every last one of us is broken. Every last one of us is struggling with doubt in certain areas. I pray that you would surround us with the people of God and the word of God and the spirit of empowerment that would enable us to be fully alive to you, who you are. You said Christ in us is our hope of glory. We just wanna receive that glory one more time through a moment of surrender. And, and church, if you're ready to surrender, just pray this prayer after me, wherever you're at in your walk with God, just pray this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 